0: Hello, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a warning that we are going to be talking about open spoilers for the new Matrix movie that will go on until about 11 minutes and 36 seconds. So if you want to avoid all of that, go ahead and skip to 11 minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, Thank you all so much and enjoy the episode. Uh,
1: I have never seen a more pretentious sack of flaming crap um in as many years as james cameron's career what
0: james cameron's career wow (laughs) Wow, you didn't go with the Michael Bay, which I thought you'd be. Well, although it's not, his stuff isn't really pretentious; it no, is exactly no. what it is. So. It
1: is what it is. Yeah. No, I was just shocked. It's shockingly bad. Like, and it seems that the people who love it are like, "Oh, well, you don't really get it. It's this meta commentary on the pointlessness of sequels." And no, Lana is just incompetent. That's the actual answer. It's a ham-fisted track of garbage. It goes on for almost three hours and I don't even know how.
2: Is it really uh, almost that long? It's two
0: and a half. It's so, it's like two it's and so forty, long. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, fucking long. So I was it's- listening I was listening to one of the podcasts uh that I listen to frequently and he said that one of the one of the guys was like um. Every time the new Agent Smith
1: was on screen, I just uh-huh. wanted to die. Yes. <laughs> so di- I mean, I don't even know where to begin in, ex- in explaining how stupid it is. Like, I if- I
0: want you to explain that to me. Like, what is so bad about the new Agent Smith? Because I'm very <laughs> curious. He's about like
1: them. a knockoff Agent Smith. It's like if you went into I don't know, like a knockoff Toys R Us, and found this this toy of Agent Smith that's kind of like Agent Smith, but it's just. Like, dumber looking and cheap okay. but that's what he is
0: so he's like the spirit Halloween like mm-hmm. costume of Agent yeah. Smith basically yes and there's okay. nothing
1: worse than that the, the possibly the worst scene in the entire thing is when the Merovingian shows up again if that's how you pronounce it I the think it's Merovingian French. if it's his Merovingian but, yeah. yes the the dumb like uh rogue program it is he just babbles this nonsense that's like anti- I don't know like anti-capitalist kind of and he's like a hobo. It's just you're just like stunned at that point. You're like, what is even happening? <laughs>
0: uh-huh. I've I've heard, by the way, that the um, that even the fight scenes are really lackluster, They're terrible, and not very good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is like
2: that's disappointing
0: for for the Matrix sequels, right? Like as dog shit as they were, at least uh-huh. they had cool fights in them. Right? Yeah, that's and true. Then, yeah, like, you're you're taking even that away from the fourth one, which
1: I mean. And, there's this argument, I guess, that it's deliberately crap because it's supposed to be like a lampooning of of the the not the need of the fact that there shouldn't have been sequels. But you can't like claim the irony um, of that and also actually make the sequel. You know? Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's just not how it works.
0: Yeah. As, so I'll, I'll give you some, uh, some retrospective here. I watched the first two. I watched the first one on DVD. I watched mm-hmm. the second one in theaters and I have, and I did not watch the third one because of how bad. It, it, yeah. I don't blame one. you.
2: I it was terrible. I, yeah. After the second one, it was like, well, I'm, I'm also, I'm thing. out. Let's yep.
0: Yeah. You don't need to because, and legitimately, right? Like, the first movie is good. Like I have since we watched it. The first movie is actually good. Yeah. Is groundbreaking mm-hmm. and is really really cool. But like the second one, I was just like, "This is just so fucking terrible." Well, I, I the reason cringe. The reason why- like actively cringe.
2: Yeah. The reason
1: why the first matrix is so good is because it it raises questions, right? And it mm-hmm. lets you fill in the gaps. And the second you get past Neo like flying into the air, like the story's over. We don't need to know anything more because we know you know the whole yeah. point is this is going to be a revolution. We don't want to see the revolution because what the hell? what's the point? Like if we want to see that, we don't want to see you actually fight Sauron. We just want to know this possibility of beating him. And the rest of the movie yeah. is floundering trying to do that, and you don't need that. I mean the only the only add on that I found um, great was the, the Animatrix um, ones because oh yeah
0: the Animatrix is great yeah because yeah, yeah, they give you little glimpses
1: of what's possible with the Matrix mm-hmm. and that was cool like, I could see you doing a sequel movie that's like an hour and a half tops and mm-hmm. it's not a sequel it just like takes a little segment of the Matrix and does a little exploration but even that's unnecessary honestly yeah
0: yeah so um, I, I want to say right that. The sequ- I haven't seen the third one so I can't speak to that but I can speak mm-hmm. to the second one I feel like the Matrix the Matrix sequels all they are building up to is, like, how can we make it so Neo just doesn't end the movie within five minutes? <laughs> right, that's what it is. <laughs> because, because, like, at the end of the first one, it's like, yeah, oh. he's God he's, now. Yeah, he's yeah. God now. And then, so, uh-huh. like, the other two movies are like, all right, how can we prevent this from happening so we can really drag this plot
1: out as much as I possible? I mean, my friend David, and this is going too far in explanation my friend david was he said that he sat down and rewatched the, the first two because he didn't really understand like the premise of 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 the the sequels mm-hmm. and when he explained to me what the additional lore added i was like this is horrible and this <laughs> is another reason why these movies should never have ma- been made like the idea that the whole one program was actually or the, the one concept is actually a routine <sighs> in the matrix and that What it equates to is that at the end of the day, everything Neo did was pointless, and so Mm. it almost necessitates this final movie. But the problem is, is in this final movie, you don't even understand what's happening, let alone what the point is.
0: Also, I know that Lawrence Fishburne doesn't return. That's correct. He does not. Yeah. Okay. Do you know why that is?
1: Uh, From uh, outside of the movie, no. There's probably some reason. beyond the movie that he doesn't because I would love you could to have absolutely you. had him. you could have totally I, had him in it.
2: I would yourself.
0: love to tell you why because it's fucking why? terrible. Okay. Why? Um the reason Lawrence Fishburn does not Larry Fishburn uh does <laughs> not return as Morpheus is because Morpheus canonically dies in the MMORPG The yeah,
1: game. I mean, I know that, but I don't understand why he doesn't come back from an extra movie, like, outside the movie. Like, isn't there a a reason why they didn't want the actor back? Or is it just because... No, because
0: the character canonically dies in the video game. He
1: dies in the video game, Daniel. But But so does Trinity. So it's like, it doesn't really make a difference. (laughs) Wait, Trinity
0: canonically dies? Yes! Yes! see okay you're obviously you're way more into the matrix mmo (laughs) i mean she knows
1: she dies in the third movie so there's no reason why you can't just bring people back they bring her back
2: oh Um, my god didn't morpheus like appear in this the newest movie it's like he's
1: this thing he's this this morpheus slash um agent smith mix program it's so fucking dumb
2: that's gross (laughs) why would they do that
0: it sounds really dumb yeah
1: it's fucking dumb I mean, I just think they hate Lawrence Fishburne. There must be some reason. Because the guy was like, they didn't even ask me to come back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that sounds correct. Um,
1: so mean.
2: Yeah. But um, yeah, I feel like there's an issue with like power creep in a lot of media where mm-hmm. like a, a character reaches a certain point where they're basically a god and then the author or the creator is like, ah, shit, what do I do now? got to like create some bullshit excuse for why he's like powerless now or whatever and that definitely happened with the matrix
0: yeah yeah one of okay so this is in anime daniel i apologize but in anime this is often considered the dragon ball problem where it's like Mm -hmm. you have this like power scale of escalation right where it's like you eventually you're just fighting gods and then where do you go from there right which is why i think I I love um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure as much as I do is because like, you know, each story resets, like has a hard reset point for for a lot of it. And so uh, eventually, right, like you might end up fighting that is something that is like a godlike being. Mm -hmm. And then you don't win because you power up. You win because you trick it into killing itself. Right. Like that's how it ends up.
1: And then be clever.
0: Right, exactly, and then so in the next one, in the next iteration, when you're fighting something that's incredibly powerful, it's not like you're like, oh, I'm level seven thousand now. It's like, <laughs> no, I was, I was five thousand, and that's the ceiling that I've hit, and I'm mm. not going to do better than that. <laughs> yeah, and and but also what it does, it's like the reason I like Joe's Bizar- bizarre adventure so much is because structurally that reset point, like you'll often start by like, or they'll often start a series with like new character who has to develop their power set again, but then like another character will come by as like a reference point, be like, Oh shit, that character is really powerful because he was in the last series. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, but what that often does is it sets the stage for the villain to showcase how strong they are compared to the previous cast a lot of the time, or like, Sometimes it's just like a complete reset where it's like, oh, well, guess what? Like we were fighting, you know, like a, a vamp, an ancient vampire before who could stop time. Now we're fighting a serial killer who can turn things into bombs. Like that's basically <laughs> like the reset point. It's, it's so much better than having to be like, well, we have the same characters. I guess we've got to bump them up in power even more. You you can look at this in like uh like Naruto as well, where it's like, oh, th- we're. We're broken. We're disgustingly overpowered, but we can't you know we don't have an excuse to depower them so like there's no Mm -hmm. there's no critical stakes anymore you know
1: yeah stakes is the issue that's the problem absolutely yeah Yeah. right that the stakes of matrix one what it had nothing really i mean in my opinion it had nothing really to do with um actual neo or any of the characters it had to do with the fact that we identify with neo being trapped in a pointless job in a we Mm -hmm. view as like a pointless existence you know at the mercy of corporate forces and someone whispers to you from the secret beyond and suddenly, you know, you have a way out. Like that was the mm-hmm. cool part. Us yeah. racing with him through the office to find our way to the secret place that's yes. going to be our revolution or our freedom. And that's all we wanted from the movie. You know, nothing more pulling the eyes. Isn't, of
0: isn't that though? Isn't that like the way that I would also kind of interpret that, right? Isn't that kind of a way of the, the producers or the director saying, Hey, we can give you meaning. And it's like, yes. it, it, from like a millennial or even a Gen X perspective, because I would imagine huge. The, the Wachowskis are Gen Xers, right? But it's like, mm-hmm. in the world that they are living in, in the world that we are living in as millennials, right? Right. What What is our purpose? We don't have a purpose because yeah, like the would given kind of stripped away. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and you're given meaning and you're like, oh, now I'm invested because there's a like meaning Like Morpheus said, it.
1: hey, there's a reason why I'm here and you mean something, like at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Oh, man, Um, this is a world building podcast, and I would imagine that this has, um, you know, something to do with it. But um, so I'm probably going to keep all that in and I'm probably going to keep it in. But like with a, hey, we're going to be spoiling, you know, the new Matrix Matrix. movie. Um, So if you don't want to hear that, skip to this Mm -mm. timestamp. But Yeah. Welcome to World Build with us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. This is Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staple. Oh, let me try that again because I messed it up. My name is Rob Hilferty. My co-hosts today are Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. Uh, you, you know us by now. I mean, if you're starting with the year in review episode, I feel like you're making a bad decision because we're going to be going over all of our previous, well, some of our favorite previous worlds from 2021. And this is our first episode of 2022. It's a grand old time. But before we get into all that, I do want to shout out and give a big thank you to our two newest patrons. We have Savaget and Bjorn. But yeah, uh, again, thank you so much to our new patrons. Uh We really can't do this without you, Uh Welcome, and if remember that if you want to be really generous yourself, you can always go to our Patreon with a link for that in the description, and you can join the god-pacted the giant aphids or the goblins, you know, whatever. We we thank everyone for joining uh, our Patreon. Uh, and remember that if you want us to build your world, you can, always, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, and submit a prompt through our link system. Uh, You can follow us on social media over on Twitter, at Let's World Build. If you want to uh, join our Discord community, there's a link for that in the description. And I've already shilled the Patreon enough. So without further ado, on to 2022 and on to our review of 2021. So for this episode, we're going to be revisiting some of our old favorite settings from 2021. And Daniel, which setting did you want to start us off with today?
1: I would like to return to Ride the Lightning slash, I forget what it was called.
2: I had a feeling you were going to go with that one. Land of a Thousand Tracks, I think.
1: Yes, that's it.
0: Was that 2021?
2: It was, yeah. I hope so.
0: Holy shit, was (laughs) it We did
2: a lot of stuff this year.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm going to believe you, but at the same time, I don't believe you. That was so. like
2: back in March, actually. Yeah.
0: Oh my god. Yeah, I spent yeah. some
1: time in there in the RPG land, so it's pretty, pretty dear to me.
0: Yeah. Why don't Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit
1: about that, Daniel? Why don't we start there? Oh, about um that we ran a game in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we I was looking for, um, well, one of the things I'm trying to do with OSR+, Plus, which is a um, RPG system, I'm developing a tabletop, is um, having some crossover with WorldBuild with us in the sense that I'm taking some of the settings and converting them into settings for the system. And so as a test, we chose road, ride the, uh, the Land of a Thousand Tracks as one example. And we do have recordings of our one shot in which Courtney and Rob were in, among other people. Um once they're cleaned up and we have a beta, I'll be ready to release those. But uh, yeah, I spent some time in there thinking about what would character classes look like. And, you know, if you ran a one shot, what would that be? And I thought that was pretty fun.
0: I uh, can confirm it was quite fun. It was, um, it
2: was a lot of fun and ridiculous. Um,
0: yes, yeah. I, I would agree <laughs> with that. Um, uh, I I ended up playing a crashlander, and I was basically just a psychopath the entire time. It was amazing. I,
2: I think you like started off by ripping off somebody's arm. Yes. If I recall correctly. Oh, okay. Yes.
0: It was a corpse. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, somebody. It wasn't like another player I mean, or was, something like that. It was still
2: a human being. It was just a deceased human being.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. A deceased human being stops being a human being and starts being a potential weapon when I rip its arm off. Okay.
1: <laughs> I mean the the difference. If each of the the settings have like slightly modified rules. So the, the difference in this one, it was written is written in a kind of OSR sense that. Um, you know, like if you run out of hit points, you're dead. Uh, we don't know your name, so that if you died, we could put you back in really quick as a different character. Mm-hmm. They didn't really start with anything besides like one item, um. So it's kind of like bare bones, uh, dungeon crawl on a train. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. v- very bare. Hence why I was looting the corpses for potential weapons <laughs> and just ended up ripping <laughs> off an arm. But uh, yeah. So so Daniel, why don't you go ahead and tell us what aspect do you want to bring up that's new about Land of a Thousand Tracks? And what are we revisiting within this setting?
1: Um, now, I need your help with this. But what I want to do is I want to take the, um, the trains and the tracks to space or at least mm. to um, <laughs> at least to the atmosphere slash uh, orbital frame. Mm -hmm. and possibly have a train that is in space uh, (laughs) that's orbiting the entire planet
0: okay daniel i want to get this out of the way now this is so fucking dumb and i love it (laughs) (laughs) um i just want to get that out there now because again dumb and i love it okay yep
1: I'm thinking like, you know, remember when you you one-shotted that one NPC off the train? Imagine if you one-shotted that one NPC into the void of space. Oh
2: shit. That's pretty cool actually. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, oh, I, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Um
0: so so how um, <laughs> and, and also why? <laughs> like, like that's i suppose those are where we want to start with this particular yeah. setting right
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: because the the world is ravaged right it's a post-apocalyptic uh-huh. you know with like a bunch of lightning storms and stuff like that and i imagine that that's kind of the power system that's going to propel them mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. into space but i also mm-hmm. imagine that they're going to need something that is supplementary something that is more than just the lightning right because that's not really propulsion enough to get
1: us into the <laughs> orbit. Uh, I mean, one thought I had—not not the how, but a why or a a, a context—is um, I was thinking kind of you know that horrible movie Elysium, um, where With there's the like uh, yeah, yeah, there's like a. I mean, I didn't granted I didn't see this movie, but from what oh, I understand, there's like a separate. Sorry about that.
2: Oh, I haven't seen it either, but I've heard about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, From what I understand, there's like a second class of people, like a higher class that exists in like either space or above um, where the people who live on the earth is. It's all screwed Mm -hmm. up. So I'm thinking maybe there's um, another class of either survivors or scientists that are in space in this orbital frame. And there's some kind of, um, you know, passageway between the two that involves a space train.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can I can start to get behind this because I, I think that actually Elysium is a good way to start us off here where we can kind mm-hmm. of talk about mm-hmm. the you know, the the land of a thousand tracks where it's with its essentially a blasted hellscape, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's actually fairly interesting to talk about where we do have an Elysium style, you know, like spaceship or or space station that hovers mm-hmm. over, you know, the, the earth as we know it. Um Now, my question, Daniel, now becomes, are people from, you know, like the the Earth trying to go up or is the scientist class trying to go back down? Or is there Mm -hmm. some kind of like semi-consistent train that goes back and forth, like a loop that goes up, you know, like to and from
1: the space station? Mm Oh, I like like the concept of a loop. I mean, one other thing I had introduced in the in the game version was the idea that there's remember we had mountains that were like pass through stations yes. yeah yes I and i assigned a color to each like the, mm-hmm. the um the crash landers had like red mountain and then there was yeah. like the uh green and the blue tr- people yeah, yeah blue yeah. and green like the i think when the, in the in the episode we talked about green being this like biohazard place yeah. Of, yeah yeah so maybe there's like white mountain or something like black mountain and that's the space one and, and there's mm. a train that goes there
0: you're so you're asking if we can add Space Mountain to Land of. Valley.
2: Space <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Okay, all right. I I mean I can support this. I I don't see why not. However, again, there is a question of propulsion because mm-hmm. uh, again, I don't feel like a lightning-based or a a, a generator-based <gasps> train uh, okay. space
1: elevator.
2: Yes. Okay. Yes. It goes up like a, a he- helix. We- Sorry. One other thing that oh. we had talked about in that setting originally, which I know we had been asked to keep it like a realistic kind of setting, but we came up with the idea of like electric jellyfish yes. um, in the sky creating these storms. So I wonder if that could also be related to some sort of propulsion or like energy field that creates like an anti-gravity something in the atmosphere.
0: Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> okay. I I like what we're doing here. I also like the idea that to me, in my mind, am I also thinking that this is kind of a uh, back to the future situation where you have to essentially create a point where you can pick up enough speed mm-hmm. that you can actually hit this <laughs> thing and go up into the sky, essentially, right? So you're doing like yeah. a Sonic,
2: Sonic the Hedgehog kind of like speed up <laughs> <laughs> blast off. Well, no, you <laughs> just need
0: like a track long enough or like yeah. a specifically designed track. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, like, I'm thinking, like, okay, like you're saying, you have to accelerate on this launch track, right? And then it hits the space elevator needle, and it's, like, this helix that takes you up, like, Mm -hmm. in in a spiral on the space elevator. And maybe the jellyfish intelligence has something to do with powering that.
0: Mm -hmm. Huh.
1: Okay.
2: Okay, Maybe there's, like, a pillar of enclosed jellyfish in the center, like a giant, like, weird aquarium kind of thing, and that's what empowers it.
1: They're harnessing it.
0: Yes. Maybe maybe they're all attracted to it like a hive of mm. jellyfish or something mm. like that. It's a lightning okay. rod for them. Yes. Yeah. 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 I can I can support this. And so like maybe only when it's activated are they kind of attracted to it. So it's mm. like uh, yeah. okay okay. I and can, they control I can, it from
1: up there, so access mm. can only be turned on from above.
2: Mm.
0: Interesting. Cool. Okay. That
1: way, like, you can have somebody who's, like, on the inside who turns on access and then you got to hijack a train and get up there to do your business mm. in the skies.
0: So mm-hmm. you're you're basically trying to create a sequel for the one shot that we did. <laughs> <where> <laughs> <laughs> Instead of taking over a regular train... We're now trying to take on the, the sky train. Okay. Space
1: train. Yeah. I I, I,
0: I see I see your plan, Daniel. I see what you're trying to do here. Ride the lightning too yeah. in space. It's it's li- yeah, exactly. It's it's li- you're also literally riding the lightning at that yeah. point because you're yes. going up into fucking space. Ride the lightning too. Well. Literally riding the lightning. Oh, my oh you God.
2: cut off there.
0: You did cut off, but that's fine. Damn it. Um <laughs> You can say it again if you like. It's fine, Daniel. It's fine. Um. Okay. So, what else do we have to? <laughs> just, I'm just. All right. What? One other thing that I do want to kind of talk about is that I do find the idea of the regular trains that we've established basically helixing off into space to be somewhat unlikely. Because the the trains that we've established are essentially fairly, they're they're fairly bulky. They're fairly large. I don't see the trains that we've established making their way to space without like serious modification or like shedding a lot of what they have. Because Mm -hmm. I see it like essentially just, just getting torn apart once it like tries to break orbit.
2: I mean, if you want to be like realistic about it or whatever, I guess we can. Which we, can we don't, giant. You know,
0: with the giant jellyfish <laughs> and all. But um, let's say that we did, Courtney. What, mm-hmm. what would we do?
2: Um, I mean, we could do some sort of like force field type thing, like a that keeps out the the void of space. Yeah, um, it's a space
1: elevator. So, like a space elevator, the whole point of it is you just to get in it and it takes you up into like, you know suborbital space without propulsion so Mm. you know like i could see the trains maybe like when they're on their way up there like they're protected from whatever forces would normally destroy them and they've got to connect with like the station up there but Mm. i could also see like some hazards happening where like the shield breaks or something and then Mm -hmm. you've got like high stakes kind of
2: yeah, I see. Or if I the see. connection isn't quite stable with the station and the train mm-hmm. does literally just go hurtling off into space. Yeah. Maybe that's happened oh, at some yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. I I can uh, Again, I do want there to be some semblance of we we have to make sure that it's not just a regular train. Yeah. We have to have a train that like can seal itself, mm-hmm. you know, not just mm-hmm. like Oh, well, all trains can go into space. No problem. Like that obviously doesn't make very much sense, you know? I mean, what Um, I think would
1: be cool narratively is if, yes, there is a particular space train that comes up and down, right? And has a track. But what would be fun from a narrative perspective is if, like, this heist scenario... Like, you do put a non-space train on those tracks, and it will get ripped apart once it gets up there. But the idea yeah. is, can you ride the helix all the way up far enough to get to the station before your train falls apart?
0: Yeah. Ride the lightning too, ride the helix.
1: <laughs> Literally riding the lightning.
0: Oh, God. Okay. Um, this is admittedly even... Perhaps a bit too ridiculous even for me, but I'm super down for it, just so
1: we're clear. I'm a fan. <laughs> I bet our, our train fan our train is going to enjoy this a whole lot, and I, I um, personally take responsibility for that.
0: Yeah, blame Daniel. I, I would agree with that. And I, I want to personally apologize because, again, this was the, the original conceit of the setting was far more grounded in reality, and now we're like, mag we're like maglev trains shooting them <laughs> off into space and just being like see you later space train <laughs> like uh maybe we can get things a little bit more back on track courtney um, what is the setting that you're hitting us with this time
2: so on a completely different uh note and mood i was gonna go with land of a thousand suns which is oh. our cripplingly depressing uh setting where Robots are like vessels for human psyches, but also have their own sentience, and they're obsessed with like research and learning to the point where they're trying to cause stars to go supernova and create black holes and all of that. And there was like torture and and pain robots, and it was really messed up and terrible. Yes,
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> so. there, think the Cenobites, but as researchers <laughs> and robots with humans trapped inside, and that's basically <laughs> what we've got. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, um. I wanted to actually draw inspiration from another setting that we we made, which was Land of a Thousand Light Year Journeys, where we had established that some sort of this like ancient intergalactic conflict had led to a weapon being used that made like dust or radiation that was limiting faster than like communication and travel, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, which would make a lot of sense in this setting if a rebellious faction on that world realized what was going on and spent their lifetimes creating this weapon that could cut their sector of the universe off so that the robots oh. couldn't do their whole hive mind communication with other worlds. So basically that faction is like saving the rest of the universe by cutting themselves off completely from everything. Interesting. sort of themselves. That's um,
0: actually, re- that's a really interesting idea. I love
1: that
2: mm-hmm. idea. Thank okay. you.
1: Wait, I don't think I understand. Give, give me another, give me another take on explaining that to me.
2: Okay, so um, in the, the Land of a Thousand Sun setting, we had mm-hmm. those like evil robots who were exploding the sun. Yes. Um, and they had some sort of hive mind connection to other robots across the universe. Oh, was, like, right. Okay. To do the yeah, same yeah. Thing. So if, if the sort of rebellious faction on that planet figured out a way to like basically block themselves off and like go black in the universe mm-hmm. and just cut everything down, um that they would do that thus saving everybody else sort of at the cost of their own eternal suffering oh, they're wow. they're
0: essentially okay. trying to quarantine themselves yeah, to make exactly. sure that this hive this robotic hive mind does not expand out and continue to snuff out suns one by one exactly. by
1: disrupting the whole is the idea
2: yeah so like basically making it so that the robots within can't communicate out and nothing can really see in
0: Right. right. Yeah. See, this is way more hopeful than that original setting and, Yeah, was. <laughs> I
2: wanted to, you know, make it a little bit more light and give Creating some amount of hope.
0: <laughs> personal hell for them.
2: Yeah, yes, it's very hopeful.
0: <laughs> what? Did you? Okay, wait a minute. Did you mm-hmm. just read I Have No mouth and I Must Scream and you're like, how can we make it more similar to I Have No mouth and I Must <laughs> Scream? No, I
2: didn't actually. No. I haven't gone back and read that lately. <laughs> I see.
0: I see. I well, know. Uh, you should because it's great, yeah. Harlan Nelson's oh, great. Um, great. So, so how can mm. they do this? I can understand I, why it's mm. an altruistic task. Totally understand mm. that. Mm-hmm. the The question is how, and I'm assuming that this is going to be the metaphorical jungle that we're getting into here.
2: Mm. Yeah, I I'm not entirely sure, and I would love your guys' thoughts on like how they would go about that if it's some sort of literal weapon that they they blow up and creates like a physical blockade or if there's something else going on um what do you guys think
1: well i guess i can we revisit a little bit of the details of of that setting like Mm -hmm. um like what was the relationship between because this was a world where there were no humans right
2: yeah it was the humans on the planet had essentially died off or their consciousnesses were like within the robots. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Like fragments, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, if I'm recalling correctly, what was supposed to happen was the human consciousnesses were supposed to be the primary consciousnesses yes, that were yeah. controlling the robots, right? Yeah. Uh, However, what ended up happening was the robots ended up taking more direct control. Uh, and yeah, so yeah. they started to uh, torment and uh, experiment on the human psyches with it. Yes, oh, and I think okay. they were
2: able to take control because of the like endless amounts of sunlight that the planet was getting because mm-hmm. as multiple suns, so and they were powered by solar energy, so they could they were basically like overpowered at that point, and that's how the robots kind of took over unintentionally. And there's only
1: a few humans that are semi-conscious or like have exerted some kind of influence. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah they
2: had sort of fled to this large jungle thing on the planet. Oh, the Eden. Um, that's right. In the darkness. The, yeah, the dark, the dark area where they could sort of regain control a bit, although at the cost of um, kind of their own longevity.
0: Okay. Yeah, I remember there was a lot more that we're missing about the yeah, jungle. Yeah, there was because, a lot in the setting. Yeah, the setting was a lot. It was yeah. pretty bleak. I remember that much <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. I
1: wonder if then to answer the question is like we want the end goal to be that they're sunsetting one of these locations, right, to disrupt. The, the whole operation i wonder if this has to be done in a sort of metaphorical way like mm-hmm. less um a literal technological solution than mm-hmm. it is something metaphorical because i also remember in that setting we did have more um conceptual stuff than we did and we did you know yeah. laser cannons and battleships <laughs> so, <laughs> and space elevators
2: yeah there was a lot of sort of internal um internal suffering going on I guess. Mm-hmm. and
0: Ironically, I do uh, remember a laser beam weapon of some. There kind, was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The
2: yeah. lasers were, um, I think it was the only way that the robots could feel pain and they used that oh, to like, right. study how pain worked. Yeah.
1: That sounds uh, vaguely fucked. correct.
2: Yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe
1: then it's a question of like, if the darkness of the, hu- of, hu- of the human psyche is really mm-hmm. what's the opposition to these machines. I imagine then it might be by forcing the, um, the jungle to grow exponentially and consume Mm. the world in some way. I
2: like that idea. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a good way to start it, but Mm -hmm. wasn't, wasn't there some conceit within that setting that like the world was essentially doomed. There was no way to save it, but there was one way that we can maybe blacken the eye of the hive mind of some kind.
2: Yeah. Wasn't
1: there like a supernova happening?
2: Yeah. The robots were like triggering a supernova. Um, and I oh, think right. it's, yeah, they wanted to be there to witness it, to be yes. able to research mm-hmm.
1: it. Um, and they were going to do that to every star of the universe. Yes, that, they were that was the plan.
2: Yeah. They basically like blot out all the stars in the universe.
0: Okay, there we go. I think we can start there. And I think that whatever like re- rebel force we have, instead mm-hmm. of blinking out all of them, something happens where it, it prevents that from happening and cuts them off from expanding further. I think that's what we're going to have to figure out. I mean, like, I think the idea of the jungle growing mm-hmm. exponentially is a good way to start that. Agreed, or, yeah. or maybe even not even necessarily the entire world, but maybe just one, because I'm, I'm visualizing, right? Like the jungle growing and twisting into some giant spire, that mm-hmm. is, like, covering the thing that is supposed to blot out the sun or, or destroy the sun, rather.
2: mm mm-hmm. okay. Interesting. I'm but sure I, that
0: there's something mm-hmm. that we're missing because I have not visited that setting in quite a while.
2: Yeah, I, I re-listened to it, and there was just a, a ton there. Um, yeah, I there remember was, that.
0: I remember that setting being yeah. very dense, but in a good way.
2: Yeah, there was also something about a... um I forget what we called it, but it was some sort of, like, creature-esque thing that was deep in the darkness that could consume life oh. and the robots, if I'm remembering. I'm, like, doing a poor job of explaining it because I don't remember what it was exactly. Mm. But in the setting, we even talked about how there could be a person who, like, actively tries to release that to destroy the robots. Um and themselves in the process.
1: It makes me think of like a reverse sunshine, like that mm, movie. Yeah.
2: We actually had talked it... about that movie in that setting. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> we
0: did. We did indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. Um. All right. Well, what else do we want to explore about this setting? I mean, we, we've got kind of the narrative bit down. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about, what the world looks like after these humans have succeeded or is it like these humans are fucking dead or is it they're alive, but in a world that is now pitch black and full of like screaming robots.
2: <laughs> Sounds like a nice place. Um, yeah, I could see it being also bleak, but like in a, in a different way. And yeah, I do. I do still really like the idea of the jungle having overtaken everything. Um Agreed. Yeah. And it's now just this like, extremely densely jungled planet. that's completely covered. And as soon as you kind of get past that tree line, it's oppressively dark. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that a lot of really strange things lurk down there and husks of the old robots that have died off because they no longer have solar power. I can
0: support this. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out what else we can do about it. Cause I remember terraforming played a big part of that setting.
2: Yeah. The, the jungle itself had been like a not failed terraforming effort, but I think it was um humans had landed there and tried to terraform, and the terraforming took off faster and stronger than they had expected because of uh-huh. all that sunlight mm. that caused the trees to grow.
1: I wonder if what this setting needs is something uh mundane to focus mm. it to to wrap a story around yeah. like so I'm thinking um as an example, I just watched this movie. I talked to you guys about it before, um which is pretty old um.
2: The major um, called, or actually,
1: <laughs> Well, it's from, actually from 2019-ish, called High Life. Um, pretty old. And it's, yeah. It's, yeah, so it's the one with um, uh, the guy from Twilight, and he's Robert like Henson. a prisoner on the spaceship with other prisoners who are like sent to do an experiment near a black hole, and it's pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the story centers itself is it has like a, a child that he has to raise, Mm-hmm. and so like there's it's all it all ends up being a, about these relationships they have on the ship so i wonder then if if there's something in this setting like whether that could be driven by like a character or a character concept that mm-hmm. then expresses all of these other situations like the growing forests the looming doom of the universe the possibility of survival i mean we mm-hmm. could literally borrow I mean- like the birth of a new human life yeah, that changes That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, do you know.
2: raised by wolves kind of thing, where mm-hmm. there had oh, been, by like, wolves would be great. There had been some like embryos set aside um, mm-hmm. for population yeah. creation, and somehow they they actually did get born.
0: I love the yeah. idea that what ends up happening, right, is that this spire, or, or rather the the plan by the robots, is foiled. So there's no more or there's less in control psychopathic robots, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they do is when they break into this robot citadel, they find this, you know, like this first generation of embryos. And Mm -hmm. then that's where we pick up where it's like, you have the human robots again, who are trying to ensure that this generation can live and can thrive because that's their only symbol of hope left.
2: Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. And something else, too, is um, mm-hmm. given that the robots, the bodies themselves, thrive off of solar energy, and now that the planet is entirely dark, maybe the, um, the human-inhabited robots somehow transplanted their psyches into other creatures on the planet, like um, native animals to the jungle or something, so that they oh. could still survive, but in a different weird. form. That's that very weird. strange, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. If we, I mean, if
0: we want to take that like, kind of transhumanist, you know, through line and just see where it goes. Yeah, that's very strange.
1: I mean, you could tell a story mm-hmm. that isn't even at the moment of that happening. It could be like eons oh, after yeah. this has yeah. happened. Now you yeah. have the forest which is the universe in a sense, right? Yeah. And there's this child who's not maybe eons. Maybe it's, it's 16 years later. The child has grown up and they're a child mm-hmm. wandering through the forest and they speak to these animals and the animals yes. are in fact like humans. Yeah. And yes. it's like you learn all this weird shit like through this <laughs> child like wandering yeah. the forest. That's
0: so cool. Exactly yeah. uh, you I mean you could started off as like a fantasy right or like Mm -hmm. even something like the jungle book where it's like oh (laughs) actually you could you could easily just do this as a new jungle book where it's like Oh, uh, Baloo is trying, you know, where they're trying to get, you know, Mowgli to the humans again, right? Mm-hmm. Except this time, it's like, you've got to get on a fucking spaceship and go off into <laughs>
1: space. Yes. You know? I want to watch that jungle book. Amazing. Jungle book from hell.
0: Yeah. Daniel, stop trying to turn all of our settings into schlock. God damn it. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: looking forward uh, this to my playing one cat. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Yeah, see, Daniel is the Daniel is the executive producer who's like, we've run <laughs> yes. out of ideas for sequel. Put, it, <laughs> in Put it in space.
2: In space. I, I can yeah. see this as a pretty fun one shot where like. All the players are various human animal creatures that are trying to escort this child to the like spacecraft that they've built.
0: Oh yes. Because everyone loves everyone an escort loves mission, escort mission escort where you to have us. to make sure that <laughs> someone else lives. Courtney, Oh, you're running Every, that if you want to do it, Courtney.
2: Because we've never done that in an RPG before that we played ever. Every character is it. some horrifying monster from annihilation. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yes.
0: Okay. That sounds fun. That sounds kind yeah. of fun
2: actually. <laughs> yeah.
0: I Um, want to be the
1: Screaming Bear. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we're going to move on. (laughs) That does not sound fun to me. I don't know. You guys. (laughs) Good good time. (laughs) Ah! Oh, my God. All right. Uh, I suppose that uh, I should get on to my sequel at this or my setting at this point. And this one is actually fairly new, but I'll give you some context as to why I chose to revisit uh, land of a thousand inventions because, mm-hmm. uh, one, uh, I just like that setting a lot. Mm-hmm. Two, upon revisiting and re listening to it, I feel like there's so much that we left on the table. Uh, and three, I actually read a book on the Medici recently that I thought was is like directly applicable to what oh, we nice. were talking about, and like there's so many different storylines and threads that I wanted to kind of revisit and mm-hmm. and and recontextualize because i think that that setting in particular is really fascinating.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um but with all that being said, i do want to talk about uh the the main idea that i had in mind when i was rethinking and, and the main reason that i was coming back to this is because guys, we missed a huge opportunity. We could have where in the world is carmen san diego? <laughs> in this setting so very easily. And mm. the fact that we didn't bring it up at all is heartbreaking to me. It is all about- Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, th- this setting is all about like giant art pieces and giant like, yeah. you know, like Renaissance art and Renaissance pieces and things that are like, and like we briefly talked about art thieves like when mm. we were talking about the World Conference, but the fact that that didn't spiral off into its own- Carmen Sandiego spinoff. I had to bring it back so I could specifically talk about this. So that's my starting point. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Art thieves galore, stealing monuments, stealing things of historical importance. I will leave it to you guys to go from there.
1: I just want to say I fucking love Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> when I was, I don't know how old I was. It was probably my preteens. Carmen Diego, I mean, it wasn't like I was sexually attracted to her because I don't think it was physically <laughs> possible for me at the time, but mm. I loved her. I just thought she was such a cool yes. concept and I don't know why I did. She was just so mysterious and the fact that she was like all over the world kind mm. of gave me this interest in geography I never had. There was something about Carmen Diego that I, I found extremely attractive from a, a platonic and possibly pre-sexual <laughs> point of view.
0: Daniel, I assure you that that feeling is mutually shared. Uh, but also, like, her outfit is cool. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. Her voice actor's cool. She's and sassy. She's she's more than sassy. She's sultry, Daniel.
1: <laughs> she in, is sultry. That's right.
0: <laughs> every iteration, right? And every iteration of show that she's had, the theme song is fucking on point. Whether it be the animated Carmen Sandiego or the PBS Live's Carmen Sandiego, <laughs> Both of those theme songs are amazing for completely different reasons. And then on top of that, Daniel, like she's, you, you know how there's like the bad boy trope? It's that. Yeah. But yes. for, for Carmen Sandiego. But smart. That is exactly But smart.
2: One. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And she never gets caught. You never catch Carmen right.
2: Sandiego.
1: Like that's kind of the just, whole point. It's like the Joker where he's like, I don't even know what I'd do if I got a hold of the Batman. i go crazy.
0: Uh, Okay. Don't bring Joker into this conversation,
1: Dan. I Joker you. from Batman Begins, not from the new stuff that everybody. You mean Dark files. Yeah from from Dark Knight. He was cool.
0: Courtney, what what do you how do you feel about <laughs> being sexually attracted to Carmen Sandiego?
2: Um, yeah, I'm with you guys. <laughs> I think we're, think we're all in agreement. Here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's hard not to be right, but uh-huh. okay. But my, my general concept, yeah. right, is and, and mind you, uh for for the younger listeners out there we're not talking about the newer cartoon that came out on Netflix i have no mm-hmm. context for that i'm ta- we're talking specifically about the 90s cartoons so just getting that there. out there no. now yeah. yes and i think she's a teenager which is why like mm-hmm. some people might be like oh that's kind of creepy and weird uh, no 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 it's not like that the carmen san diego <laughs> that we're talking about is like probably close to our age and runs a criminal syndicate all that good stuff I'm sure that we should probably watch that series at some point, but you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's not for us anymore. Mm-hmm. Although who knows, we're probably still dog shit at, you know, geography. So might, we might need to be better at that. <laughs>
2: um,
0: yeah. So uh, my general concept is we've got a uh, art thieves syndicate and yes. uh, you know, let's, that's what I want to do is like build that. Like let's build a a syndicate of art thieves that mm-hmm. are not just. You know, like stealing baubles and rings, but they're stealing entire <laughs> monuments, entire buildings, and stuff like that.
1: That's what I want to go for. I have a question here. Please. Like for one, I'm super excited about that. But for two, can the ultimate heist for them be stealing Atlantis itself? Obviously. <laughs> uh, fucking
0: obviously, Daniel, yes. I was building towards that, but Yes
1: yes um, that's the, the first the thought whole,
0: i had yeah exactly the whole concept <laughs> is and mind you that kind of makes them not evil necessarily or, or not yeah, even like bad guys necessarily because yeah <laughs> ex- exactly uh I, actually i can even see an altruistic purpose in like we're stealing all of these monuments so we can get
1: to atlantis and bring it back like that could yeah. even be their mm. ultimate goal oh yeah is it um, is it is it one? Um, okay, so I can't. Carmen Sandiego, I mean, I don't remember the lore surrounding her. Is it one person, or is it like you're saying, you want a syndicate of people?
0: So it's so Carmen Sandiego runs and owns and operates a syndicate of villages. Oh, she does. Yes, I didn't know that. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So, in remember in, in the PBS show. You never mm-hmm. immediately start off by trying to catch Carmen San Diego. You have to find her henchman first. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you go on and eventually try and catch Carmen San Diego. It's it's very similar mm-hmm. in the cartoon as well. So who
1: is our Carmen San Diego? Like my first my first thought, which is doesn't make any sense, was that our Carmen San Diego is actually Da Vinci. But maybe that's like a secret. <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: No, no, no. I, I, I I'm actively turning that down. One, I wanted to okay. be a badass female character. So a new um, person. So so a new character that we've never touched upon before.
2: Okay. Uh, so it's it's and- Lady Da Vinci. <laughs> yeah, Lady <exactly>. Da Vinci. <laughs> da Vinci for her.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So it's, it's definitely a woman and it's definitely a new character and they run a syndicate essentially. Yes, that's correct.
0: Also, okay. the other point that I wanted to bring up, uh, this is another thing that I, that I kind of got into with the Medici book that I was reading. How important patronage really is to the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the the amount of art that was funded by the Medici and their family was absolutely astounding. Like things that I have seen in person, things that we like continue to think about and continue to like is, is all as a result of the Medici having this deep love and appreciation for art, poetry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's one thing that I really wanted to kind of um, facilitate here as well is whatever, like Carmen Sandiego's Our Virgin, right? She is directly funded by a major patron, a major political family within this world. It it is done, you know, kind of with hands off, like they funnel money to that organization somewhere or the other. But that's the other concept that I really wanted to roll with.
1: I, do you so? You mean that she's getting money from one of the families, or are you asking is she a part of one of those families as well? Maybe why not both? Right?
2: Yeah. When you so, I also, when you first brought her up, I was thinking that maybe she is a part of one of the families.
0: I mean, I, I can see what I can see how you can have both, right? Where hmm. she's part of the family, and maybe that family like tacitly endorses her. You know, hmm. like. Like secretly funds her while openly like denouncing her and her thieving. Like, oh, that's I like not
1: that us more. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's something there's something interesting. I think at first, my first thought feeling was like, okay, I'd rather her be like someone who's poor who made herself into like a famous thief, mm-hmm. right? Who's yes. not yeah. wealthily mm-hmm. connected. But then there's something alluring about the really rich daughter who turned her back on the family is mm-hmm. smarter than them and and they mm-hmm. still need her and mm-hmm. maybe she has other ideas for her destiny than what she was given at birth you know
2: yeah i like that direction a lot
0: you know we could merge those ideas daniel you could we could have it so carmen start maybe she's adopted into the family due to her brilliance oh. and due to mm-hmm. you know like so and there that actually gives her a little bit more of um Distance, like, kind of, denial, yeah. plausible deniability, where it's like, this rich patron family brings her in because of how brilliant she is, and mm. then, uh, essentially, gives her money and turns on her, you know, finger quotes, mm. and and then, you know, like, continues to fund her and her operations. You know, it's like, yeah, that makes they, sense. Yeah, I, I think, and I think there should also be, as well, to kind of give her her own agency, like you know like she's the one who kind of spearheads this idea is is really passionate is really uh you know ambitious and says mm-hmm. look this is what we can do i am you know like adopted into this family you have this it's all her idea essentially yeah
2: and maybe maybe the atlantis thing is her own secret mission like the uh, no. the family just knows about the art aspect and they just think, oh, we're getting all these amazing pieces of art and kind of stealing from our enemies. But she's the one who's like, no, actually, my my actual goal is this secret thing. I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that, that totally works for me. Mm -hmm. I I am fully supportive of that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, What else do we want to talk about with this? Because I feel like, um, so what else do we want to bring up within this setting? Because this is already really exciting to me uh and and obviously, right, like you can start this out playing for the syndicate or against the syndicate or starting one way and then switching I mean, how would you guys kind of take this story courtney what would you how would you see the story? where would you start, and where would you want to see it go?
2: um I could see it as you're a group that's investigating these um thefts and you're you are actually trying to find Carmen San Diego, basically. Um, and then it's sort of up to you along the way if you want to persecute her or support her goals or what. I think that could be interesting. Like if you don't really know what her ultimate goal is initially.
0: Mm. And Daniel, same question. What would you do with this concept?
1: Um, I think it would be, because we, in the original setting, we focused a lot on um, the workshops and then the inventors, mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. the inventors or the the artistic inventors create this new magic item essentially and then there's like technological uh uses for it that the workshops Mm -hmm. produce as merchants since there's a focus on the families which i think is really interesting you could have lots of rival um uh or rival thieving uh, guilds that are part Mm -hmm. of the syndicate that are funded by different families and Mm -hmm. so they're trying to like maybe steal a lot of the originals and so it's a question of, like, which faction do you want to join? Mm-hmm. And I assume then that the Carmen Diego character, she really has kind of authority over how they all interact with each other and what mm-hmm. the rules are of the game, even though they're all pitted against each other in different ways. So I could imagine if you're running this as like a game or like, you know, as a story, you know, you can have characters who have to make unsteady alliances with other um, yeah. uh, thieving guilds to pull off even bigger capers that everybody can win from.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, love those concepts. I would also want to point out that there's another option that we can go with here, which is starting out as the, you know, our settings equivalent of Interpol, knowing (laughs) that Carmen San Diego is quote unquote a problem. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with, with, you know, stealing from Courtney's ideas, like kind of putting them in these positions where they see the good and the bad of the organization that they're trying to nab, you know. They grab henchmen and they trying to work their way towards Carmen San Diego, and then there's this whole massive plot that you can kind of see unfurl
1: before yeah. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you, you definitely need you like, definitely the police. That, what, what were the characters? The two kids, like who do they belong to in the show in Carmen San Diego? The ones that are I after. Think-
0: I I really don't remember very much, but I do remember <laughs> that Interpol was
1: involved in something. Yeah, so you need that leg basically for this yeah, work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and th- and that's kind of what I want. I thought it'd be kind of interesting to start out as a you know because that's another faction that we can that we'd be creating is if art heists are such a thing, and, and the, I would imagine that they would be fairly prevalent as well, right? That. You would have to have an agency that not only stops and, you know, like, let me try that again. You would have to have some kind of an agency that not only prevents these crimes, but also returns and finds the stolen artwork and makes sure that it gets back to its rightful owner as well. Mm -hmm. So that you could see that faction, that organization as being entirely altruistic and, something that is it has to come from multiple nations it has to be you know because i would imagine that if it was from one particular nation it's obviously going to be selfish and more corrupt mm-hmm. than something that is a multi nation uh, multinational organization right
2: yeah and there would mm-hmm. be the issue of forgeries too um yes. like if they were <clears throat> excuse me like if they were to recover a um a stolen artwork and what's to stop somebody from just claiming like oh that's a forgery like you you still need to find the real thing or yeah yeah there's there's all sorts of stuff that could happen there Mm
1: -hmm.
0: well um i am so excited that we got to uh like kind of revisit these Mm -hmm. settings Mm -hmm. again uh i am actually buzzing with the idea of like running a game that is like all about renaissance interpol i think that's such a cool (laughs) idea uh and and not only that i think that it's The reason I also am really attracted by this idea is because it is so different than the original kind of adventure concept that we went with in that scenario Mm -hmm. to begin with. Right. Which was which incorporated a lot of like the lower end type of or which incorporated a lot of like the lower class people and the the church, which I think was like kind of a weird ad. And also, Mm -hmm. again, 30% more blood come in tears for everyone. Because again, that's why I'm here to do this podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, like I was like, we could have, I think I wanted to showcase the diversity uh, of this setting because you can have your low born adventure, but you can also have this high concept, like Carmen San Diego style Mm -hmm. of like heist and adventure and stuff like that. And also we didn't even get, we didn't even talk about the idea that you could have this be heist after heist after heist, and that mm-hmm. could be its own game, right? Like you yeah. could write it uh, like a, a a much brighter version of Blades in the Dark, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. I, I think that I wanted to showcase how, uh, how how, how wh- what you could really do with this setting is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say.
2: <sighs> uh
0: well, y- y- that will do it for. Look, 2021 sucked for a lot of people, us included, but there was also a lot of really cool settings that we did as well. Uh, We continued to do our interviews. We had new patrons join us again. Thank you all so much. And 2021 has been kind of crazy. Time is a weird flat circle but we had some really great settings as well. And that's what we wanted to bring you. And I just wanna say how excited I am that we're gonna be continuing to build brand new worlds in 2022. And remember that if you want us to build your worlds in this year, next year, whenever, go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click on the submit prompt link and fill out the information. We will build your world. Don't worry about it. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over at Let's World Build on Twitter and we are on Discord. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can come join our Patreon with a link for both of those in the description. That'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much and we're going to get through this together until next week.